Welcome to Oh My Lord, Chicago History You Didn't Learn in School. Today, I am joined by Vanessa Murray, host of Real Relationships, another phenomenal podcast, and a fellow weirdo who is obsessed with the, the demise of one Alex Emmerich Jones. How are you today? I am wonderful, and greetings from Houston. <laughs> so. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about Real Relationships. Yes. So my friend Courtney and I started Real Relationships almost a year ago. She is from Ohio. So a call back to your uh, previous episode. She is an Ohioan. And we had been playing around with the idea of we both love movies. And so we started playing around with this idea, Real Relationships, and it's spelled R-E-E-L relationships, because what we do is look at the central relationship, and sometimes there's more than one relationship in a given movie, but we look at what we like about the movie, what we like about the couple, when the attraction began, if it, it you know, if they were not an existing couple when the movie began. And then we make a determination if they, quote unquote, ride off into the sunset for all eternity or fall to the cutting room floor. And we don't cover just romantic comedies. We literally cover any genre of movie. The episode that I am editing as we speak is Total Recall. Whoa. First episode was Dirty Dancing. We have covered movies such as Tremors. We have covered, we are looking for horror movies because more often than not, one of the couple does not uh, survive to the end. But there are a few. Jason Takes Manhattan being one of them. So that is a future Halloween episode. But our episodes run the gamut. And so it's a lot of fun. New episodes drop every Thursday. In fact, our latest episode, Flashdance, just dropped today. In this episode, we take our passion and we make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> You're a maniac. I am a maniac and I'm dancing like I've never danced before. And I'll tell you what, Tommy Boy, another future episode, amazing scene. <laughs> to shift things today, yes. we are going to talk about the Great Chicago Flood. What, okay. if anything, do you know about the Great Chicago Flood? Oh, it was probably um, another callback to your previous episode. It was probably created in part due to drunkenly putting together our modern infrastructure. And I want to say, I think I remember hearing there was an effort to actually change the direction of the Chicago River. There was. This doesn't okay. have anything to do with the shifting of the Chicago River. But okay. So for starters, and don't tell QAnon folks this, but beneath the city of Chicago, there are a series of tunnels. Okay. Because people might be curious, they are as follows. The level closest to the ground is the Pedway, which connects more than 50 buildings in the loop. In the downtown area of Chicago, there's a Pedway beneath the city, so you can avoid walking in the elements. Okay. It's confusing. I avoid it because I'm prone to getting lost. Yeah. We have something similar in downtown Houston, the tunnels. Beneath that are the Chicago Transit Authority, the CTA tunnels. 
So your red line, your blue line. And then the third level of tunnel is the freight tunnels. And that's where our story takes place, but we'll get back into that later. Okay. The cable car tunnels. These sit 60 feet below the ground and predate the L. After that are our water intake tunnels, which we don't know much about for water security purposes because that's our drinking water supply. Okay. And then below that is the deep tunnel, which collects excess rainwater and can store up to 2.3 billion gallons of water. I think I see where this is going. Yes. You might. <laughs> well, no. Okay. But I'm laying it out because uh, yeah. we'll get into it a little bit later. The deep tunnel has been in the news a lot lately because we've been getting a lot of rain. Okay. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah. But the flood we're going to talk about happened in 1992. Our story starts a century earlier. In 1899, the Illinois Telephone and Telegraph Company received approval to dig a tunnel in which they laid cables so they could introduce phones you could dial on your own. Okay, so without the phone operators on roller skates. Right. Without Okay. You see the old-time movies where they pick up the phone and it's like, operator, get me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And at this time, they also built passageways beyond the specs of the phone lines. In fact, large enough to accommodate a railroad. Okay. For which they did not have a proper permit. How color me shocked in Chicago, not having a proper construction permit, pretty much away. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you what, I'll interrupt you when I figure out when I identify the problem here. (laughs) In a WTTW, that's our local PBS affiliate, in a WTTW interactive titled A Comedy of Errors How a Small Leak Became the Great Loop Flood of 1992, they state, according to transit historian Bruce Moffat, city officials were shocked when it came to light what the company was doing in 1902. He goes on to say, and this is a quote, I think the aldermen were more shocked that they were missing out on revenue generating opportunities for themselves, Moffat told Chicago Stories. After some back and forth with the city, the Illinois Telephone and Telegraph Company was allowed to continue and was eventually renamed the Chicago Tunnel Company. Uh, It is speculated the company paid the alderman off in a backroom bar, which also wouldn't shock anybody. I was going to say again, (laughs) color me surprised. (laughs) Okay. I actually got turned on to this story. I listened to another podcast called Why This Is the Most Chicago Story Ever. Okay. (laughs) The project was completed in 1914, and the tunnels were six and a half feet wide, sometimes as tall as eight feet, spanned about 60 miles, and they conformed to the grid. Okay. In essence... They created a distribution system between the various sub-basements of Chicago's businesses, 
Because okay. at this time, Chicago was the fastest growing population. And it lacked traffic lights and consistent traffic patterns. I think we call them yeah. lanes. I would, I, yes, I would call them a lane. <laughs> traffic was a mess. And okay. it was just quicker to use this trolley system. Okay. Which delivered coal and packages, much like a messenger system. Okay. Eventually, infrastructure improved, rendering it unnecessary and unprofitable. Hence, in 1959, the Chicago Tunnel Company abandoned the underground freight, leaving oh it yeah, leaving it okay. the city's responsibility. Okay, okay. So, 1959. Okay, so we're starting the clock. <laughs> we're starting the clock. As historian Moffat told WTTW, even though you have abandoned infrastructure, it's still there. It still has maintenance needs. And if you're not going to do it sooner or later, something's going to happen. I can interrupt with just a really quick story on this. I went to school in Butte, Montana, and it was a mining powerhouse up until about 1956, 57, about the same time period. And what they did was they did underground mining, but then they also did the hilltop mining where it basically spirals into the ground. Then the Arco Atlantic Richfield Company, I believe, ceased operations at that mine in favor of mines in Argentina. And so when the mine was abandoned, the pumps were shut off the mine continued to fill, and now it is one of the largest Superfund sites in the country. It is called the Berkeley Pit in Butte, Montana. If it doesn't hold a billion gallons of contaminated water, it's something close to that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and it sits on top of a continental drift line. So if there's any sort of earthquake, there's going to be some people having a bad day. Luckily for us, the story yeah. isn't that drastic. Okay. It's not even really a story about crumbling infrastructure. Okay. I, I'll take that as a win. We'll get there. A little more background. Chicago has a river running through the city, and that requires bridges, 38 of which you'll 38 of which are bascule trunnion drawbridges, the kind that opened in the center. Oh, okay. So th what we saw in Blues Brothers. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Blues Brothers is going to make another appearance later, oh, another yeah. Blues Brothers reference. Yeah. But and you did then, mention the L train. Yes. Okay. There are bridge houses at each of these 38 tr bascule trunnion bridges. Okay. There's also what are called pilings. Some people call them dolphins. Oh. In the case of what we're talking about here, it's bundled telephone poles. And they provide a buffer should a boat hit the bridge. They'll hit the piling instead. Flash forward to September 1991. Okay. When the Great Lakes Dock and Dredge Company replaced the rotting pilings around the Kinsey Street Bridge, which is on the north branch of the Chicago River. They were afraid of damaging the bridge house. Okay. 
So they did not put the pilings back in the exact same spot. They moved the new pilings about a yard over, resting them a foot over the roof of the tunnel. Okay. Thus creating the leak. Okay. And I'm guessing one leak begat another leak and so on and so forth. We'll get there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's important to know Chicago Dock and Dredge was oblivious of their error. They didn't know okay. that they had done that. Uh, okay. Okay. The tunnels were and are still used by phone and cable companies. In December 1991, a telecom company noticing the leak took a video of the workers thigh high in water, remarking on the visible pilings protruding through the roof. And okay, yes, they notified the city in January of 1992. Okay, the city gets around to checking it out and taking pictures. Gets around to it January 92. Or... I don't know if it's January okay. 92. Okay, the flood is in April, so okay, but they get around to it. And in what one can only guess was an act of fiscal responsibility, they opted against the one-hour photo processing. Oh, God. Instead, it took five to seven days to get the film developed at OSCO. Now, OSCO has been bought by CBS. Yeah. But this this gem of a detail about the film being developed at OSCO is repeated in almost every coverage i've watched about it i remember one hour photo they were right there they i'm like wait they could have done that in an hour yeah okay yeah well was there a cost savings one hour was more expensive than the uh regular but 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 the cost of the flood on the whole i would think the cost of the one hour photo would have been worth it but yeah. Oh, wait. Okay. So the city explored doing in-house repairs, which would have estimated cost about $10,000. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. They get three bids to repair it, which average about $75,000. Oh, yes. But that was too expensive. They were going to get cheaper bids. Two cheaper proposals okay. that would come in on April 14th, 1992. Uh, okay. Which in this story is a day late and millions of gallons of water too much. Oh, no. At three o'clock in the morning of April 13th, 1992. Businesses throughout the city started calling 911 due to flooding in their basements. Okay. Okay. I've I've never been to Chicago. What does the typical housing structure look like? I know typically in the Midwest, there are basements. Obviously here in Houston, you really don't have basements, but are basements in the Chicago area 
for all intents and purposes, underground. Yes. And okay. okay. In the downtown area, because mm-hmm. of the tunnel system and how Chicago's designed, okay. there are three levels of basement. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. This is the sub-basement area. Yeah. It quickly became worse. Yes, basements are common. Okay. And there are multiple, like, the way we're designed as a city and the tunnels and some other city planning stuff, there are multiple levels of basement. Okay. So in 2017, Neil Steinberg, who covered the flood for the Chicago Sun-Times, wrote a retrospective called 25 Years On, The Soggy Story of the Loop Flood Lingers. And he points out... The city did what it does so well. Nothing. I was going to say, okay. <laughs> Steinberg goes on to say, actually, it inched towards action, putting the repair job out for bid. By later estimates, the repair would have cost $10,000 had it been done in a timely fashion, but it wasn't. He goes on to say, water keeps busy. Even bureaucracy dawdles. And that morning, the crack became a hole the size of an automobile. And the trickle turned into a torrent as the Chicago River began pouring into the 47 miles of tunnel system and into the basements of Chicago Loop office buildings and businesses south of the river. Oh, my God. 47 miles. It's actually 62, according to experts. He says 47. Uh, But most of the experts that I've watched say 62. Wow. What's 15 miles when you're talking about millions of gallons of water? (laughs) And untold damage. (laughs) Let's, let's, Let's not split hairs on the important details here. I'm not going to get mad at him. I'm just going to clarify that I've watched a lot of documentaries and read a lot about it. And 62 is what? 47 is the new 62. (laughs) There you go. Or 62 is the new 47. 47. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's also important to know back then the river was dirtier than the air during a Canadian wildfire. Oh. Right now, we are working to clean the river. Yes. But a few decades cannot undo centuries of harm. No. And unfortunately, that was done like around the country. Early 1900s, we just thought, oh, just throw it in the nearest body of water, out of sight, out of mind. We'll never have to deal with it again. And if nothing, we are a people who adamantly and vigorously learn from history and our mistakes. So I'm sure nothing like this will ever happen again. The river had been a problem. We use it as a garbage can. And yeah. we were aware of that. We reversed St. Patrick's the flow of- Day notwithstanding. Yeah. We reversed the flow of the Chicago River just to get rid of our trash and send it somewhere else. I will do an episode <laughs> on that later. But in the 1990s, if you were to say fall into the river, you were looking at a trip to the ER, penicillin, and a tetanus shot if you needed I, it. 
Oh, okay. Wow. To say nothing of what was it, the Cuyahoga River that caught on fire, what, thrice? Yes. Our river also oh. fought, caught on fire. We just don't. Oh, okay. Cuyahoga gets a lot more crap <laughs> yeah. about it, but yeah, yeah no. Yeah. You can Google pictures of chickens walking across the Chicago River. Oh, God. Ironically, as I was researching the Great Chicago Flood, we had a flood situation on July 3rd. And my work got canceled, so I stayed home and watched documentaries. And it's worth noting, the next day, they closed our river walk until the power wash was complete. Okay. It becomes abundantly clear how not clean the Chicago River is when there's a lot of rain. Yeah. Oh. There's actually an app because there's three branches of the Chicago River, and there's an app. I don't want to, I'm not talking bad about the Chicago River. We're cleaning it up, but there's an app that you can look up fecal matter in each branch, and it updates every 15 minutes. Oh. So, this isn't just a flood in the this basement. Is, yeah. Wow. It still smells when it gets a little too rainy. Let's just put it that way. Oh. Larry Lankford was the overnight crime reporter for WMAQ Radio. Before people tweeted about police activity to perpetuate fear, I'm sorry, as a hobby, this guy had a job where he was paid to listen to the police scanner all night long and report on it. Okay, that's every nosy neighbor. Like, all of us know a nosy neighbor, and that is their dream job. (laughs) On Twitter, there are police scanner tweets in Chicago, which is, I can't even imagine. But it was a really slow night for crime. As such, he noticed when Marshall Fields, which is a department store, or was yes. it's now a Macy's, on State Street, called in with water in their basement. Then another State Street store reported the same problem. At first, oh. yeah. At first, he thought it was a water main break because it was on State Street. But soon, another store on a different street informed that they suffered the identical issue. Now they're taking it a little more seriously. Right. It's not really newsworthy to him at this point in time because he thought it was a water main break. He's just, But it's also yeah. so slow for crime that he doesn't have anything else to listen to. Okay. But when the third store on a different street calls in, he found the frequency of the Merchandise Mart of Chicago. Merchandise Mart of Chicago is the second largest building in the United States of America. In, ter- in terms of height or just overall square footage? Oh, okay. The Pentagon is number one. Okay. For a long time, Merchandise Mart had its own zip code. Wow. It's got eight miles of hallway. Wow. And it's in downtown Chicago. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. It's right on the river. And so he turns into the Merchandise Mart of Chicago and he's listening to their security. And he hears someone say, that's a fish. He thought to himself, this ain't no water main break. Oh. 
he then did a journalism. Okay. Finding what he describes, this is from WTW. What I saw then is a sight that I will never forget as long as I live, he said. It looked like the biggest bathtub drain in the world. When Langford broke the story, the source of the flood was the Chicago River itself. Having been down in the freight tunnels himself, Langford suspected that the river was flooding the tunnels, which were connected to the buildings that were flooding. He he said, I think I know the source of what this water is, and someone should wake up the mayor. Okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think that this I think this is a, a mayor uh situation <laughs> at this point. If merchandise mart is underwater, the mayor needs to be notified. I have a ton of show notes. Okay. Which get way more into detail about the quickness of which the flood took place and oh. the filling. But for brevity and clarity, mm-hmm. if you're interested, they're going to be in the show notes. Okay. Throughout the city, pandemonium ensued. Streetlights went out. They cut power to the CTA, our subway system. Uh-huh. Electrical units across 24 square blocks were shorting out because the equipment is in the basements. Yes. And this is before, okay, so the CTA is shut down. This is before widespread internet. How did people know what to do, when to do it, where to go? It's Were there safety or emergency protocols in place? No, they had no idea. Okay. In fact, many of them made it to work before the CTA broke. Okay. Unless your, your job is to check the basement, you're not going to know what's happening. Got it. Okay. So there's are stories of people mass crossing the bridges. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Um, it, the famous clock at Marshall Field stopped working okay. at 7.14 a.m. and wouldn't tell time again until the Tuesday after Labor Day. Whoa, so almost five whole months. Yeah. It didn't work. Whoa, that's the, insane. It's, yeah, I I didn't live here for this. I just remember okay. hearing about the aftermath of yeah. it. The Chicago uh-huh. Board of Trade, the Board Options Exchange, and the Mercantile Exchange all suspended trading, causing worldwide uh-huh. and significant financial impact. It's almost like the city of Chicago should have just paid that $10,000. I'm just thinking fiscally, you know, even 75,000. True. Yeah. 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 Or one hour photo. One hour. Yeah. There's so many options here. (laughs) Oh, man. At the county buildings, they were rushing to save records in the basement. Oh, and of course, they would be stored in the basement because the upper floors are used for office space. What about, okay, were there any museums that had collections in basements? I didn't hear about that. Okay, okay. I, I suspect the, the museums are where they're located. They might not be part of the tunnel system. Oh, okay. But there were fish in the basement of City Hall. That's, that's 
there there is a joke in there. I can't quite place it right now, but there is a joke in there. Something like shooting fish in a barrel. There's something it, there to work with. It was crazy. <laughs> I had a friend. I went to the theater school at DePaul University. Okay. And I didn't study acting, but I had a friend who was accepted in the acting program. I don't know how it works now, but back in the day when you went to college, then you fill out your form and mail it back. Yes. I um, remember calling in to like for my classes. Yeah. Her mail-in form saying she wanted to go to college there. Yes. Got destroyed in the flood and she had a re-edition the next year. Oh, man. Naturally, elsewhere outside of Chicago in the near suburbs, lawyers filed lawsuits. Oh, okay. Here come the lawyers. Okay. CPD employed extra policemen because security alarms were not functioning. Notably, there was no looting or anything, but okay. there were extra police. Also, this is two days before tax day. Hey. Oh. So I not even put that together yet. April 13th. So, okay. And everyone was doing paper returns back then. Paper returns. The IRS gave people a week extension, a week's long extension, if they wrote Chicago flood across the front of their return envelope. (laughs) I will say, okay, it, it, it was a relief during COVID when we got, what was it, a month or two month extension on our tax returns? Something like that. A week. You get one week. During COVID. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I filed the paper form. Okay. Like, Mid-March, we're shut down. I'm yeah. doing my taxes. I mail it in. And they weren't processing anything. No. Because I went to my senator's office because I didn't get the money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, just refile electronically. But you can't refile. I I found an accountant and I did it and it all got taken care of. But yes, I am the idiot who filed the paper form during COVID. You plugged up the whole system. (laughs) And years later, I got a bill for a pittance of money. And I'm like, I guess I owe this. So I paid it. And then the next week I got a big check from the IRS. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, I put up the whole system. Our our government, ladies and gentlemen. People, uh, in this case, evidently people forgot to put Chicago flood on their envelope and got penalized. Oh, okay. Which I didn't get into, but I read about. So the Chicago Sun-Times says, the paper sent me to City Hall. My strongest memory is of crossing Wacker Drive and coming face-to-face with a failnix of mounted police officers in triangular formation. One rider followed by two 
followed by three trotting up the center of Wabash Avenue. Around City Hall, streets were clogged with pumps and dehumidifiers, banks of lights, mobile emergency command centers. Nobody can ignore a problem like Americans can. (laughs) But once our face is stuck in a situation, we do assemble the resources. They go, he goes on to say, not quickly enough, though, for mm-hmm. the American Society of Public Administrators, whose national convention, which began that same Monday, brought oh, 12,000 officials God. to what? You, you cannot make this up. You could not make this up. I'm going to continue with the quote, and I'll tell you my thoughts on this brought 12,000 officials to what, until that morning, had been the city that works. Their seminar, quote, end quote, how Chicago government works, scheduled for that evening at City Hall, had to be scrubbed because the building had no electricity. There is always a moment in my research where I'm like, this is so Chicago, it hurts was the like slogan of the convention Chicago the city that works well Chicago that's one of our nicknames oh okay got it okay so we're the windy city yes we are the second city yes we are the city of big shoulders oh okay that's from a Carl Sandburg poem okay and we are the city that works okay okay irony that they're having the American Society of Public Administrators come to what is known as the city that works is shutting down over a matter of a one hour photo and 10. Yeah. In Chicago, we have had two mayor dailies. Okay. Richard the first, as I call him was in office for 21 years. Okay. Richard II, his son, surpassed his tenure by one year. Okay. So Richard II, Mayor Daley, was elected in 1989. Okay. This was his first full term in office and his first crisis. Okay. And then if I'm doing the math correctly, he got reelected several times after this. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I was hoping. (laughs) Now, also, because this episode is going to air after I drop the 1968 DNC, but Richard's dad is the one who brought us the uh, riots in 1968. Oh, okay. In Chicago. Our mayors have a style of interview, which can be described as gruff. Okay. What happens is they call a press conference and they get asked a question. Mind you, not a gotcha question, just a question. They respond by sounding completely annoyed while stating the most obvious of facts. Of Mayor Daly's press conference, Brilliant journalist and friend of the pod, Mike Ryko, says this. Oh, God. We expect our leaders to be ready for anything. 
and to respond with poise and efficiency. Mm -hmm. But would you know what to do with a leaking river? It shouldn't have been surprising that Daly did one of his flip-out routines during an early afternoon press briefing when a reporter tried to ask him whose fault it was that the river sprung a leak. Daly had to have anticipated the question since this is Chicago, and Chicagoans <laughs> always want to assume that whenever something bad happens, it's somebody's fault. And the press in Chicago asks whose fault something is even before they know what happened. It's almost like Mayor Daly short-circuited. Okay. It, I've watched it many times, and somebody asks him who's responsible, and it's like, why? Uh, he's trying to deflect. He's also really mad at the whole situation. Okay. The press is giggling because it's absurd. Yeah. And then he gets mad at them for laughing. So it's just this vicious cycle. He's, yes. he's upset about the situation. They're mocking the absurdity of it. He's getting more upset, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, WTW did a really good r retrospective on it that I'll include as a less than an hour long documentary, okay. which captures the highlights there's also one from uh cbs to our local affiliate which apparently used to do documentaries and oh, it's recorded yeah. four days after the flood wow and it's an hour long where they talk to people who work on the river mm -hmm. some other characters are going to make an appearance later meanwhile the city is doing whatever it can to plug the drain the item that gets mentioned the most is mattresses. And they did acquire okay. mattresses. I strongly doubt they were utilized. Back to the Sun Times. They brought them, but they never used them, says JJ Medea, a civil engineer who for 20 years has monitored the tunnels for the city. Chicago architect Jeffrey Goldberg, on Daly's staff at the time, says using the mattresses is, quote, not as dumb as it sounds, end quote. He okay, because out, this sounds like a Bugs Bunny solution. I swear I've seen this in a cartoon. I, I swear I have seen this before. <laughs> it does. And I think it's why the urban legend about it, because it's absurd, okay. but they did have them on hand. And okay. Goldberg... According to the Sun Times, he points out that mattresses were used in World War II as emergency blockage for tears in torpedoed ships. Small side note, Jeffrey Goldberg is the son of Bertrand Goldberg, architect of the Marina City Towers, a.k.a. the corncob buildings made famous by movies oh. such as Blues Brothers. Okay, and then we're back at it. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. Which, in a Chicago story, if you can find the, the connections of the elites, yes. it's also fun. Yeah, it is. Meanwhile, to this day, social media lore calls it a whirlpool of mattresses. I have not seen evidence of that with my own eyeballs 
which mm-hmm. is why I'm doubtful. Okay. Because there are probably going to be close to 30 show notes in this episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I would have come across the whirlpool of mattresses. Yeah. I'm just imagining a big concrete structure with a hole. And then you've got all these like giant mattresses piled up like the, like it's like the clampets are getting ready to move. Right. Well, now in Chicago, there is always a guy. Everyone's got a guy. There's always a guy. This time is no different. We got a tunnel guy. Oh, John Kenny of Kenny Construction working on the deep tunnel at the time. Okay. They started the deep tunnel in 1975. So Kenny Construction is working on the deep tunnel. Now, John Kenny's nickname is now the Flood Stud. Hey, now, oh, that is a nickname. Now that's what, if any good came out of it, it's that nickname. And Kenny walked in during the repair period. He did four press conferences a day and he was really gifted at explaining what was happening in a way people could understand. And this kind of became a 24-hour news cycle in Chicago. Wow. Okay. But it's just a flood. So not much is happening. Yes. <laughs> and not only is it just a flood, it's not even a flood you can see. Yeah. It's yeah. not that nothing's happening. It's just that we can't see all of the mattresses. And Kenny agrees to work on it. Two things. He doesn't want any red tape. And safety okay. comes first. Okay. And their initial thing is to start putting something into the hole or they call it the swirl which by the way to create the world the swirl is about 13 feet in diameter so it's going to take more than just a couple of king-size mattresses yes okay the first thing they do is they take a barge that's on the river oh god and they throw Stones in it, but the stones are too small to to stop. It's not a wishing people. (laughs) Okay, okay. So stones from the barge, they're throwing them into the hole. It's not working. Like gravel. Okay. (laughs) Then they have fifty semis of larger pieces of concrete. Those count for three wishes a piece. One worker said anything they could do to choke off the flow of water. Okay. While they're working on that, crews at the buildings are pumping water out from the basements. Okay. The flood stud works overnight trying to fill the hole with concrete, which did not work because as they sucked the water out of the basements. They also sucked more water in out of for the, the tunnel. Tu- yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm I'm not a civil engineer by any means, but I understand how water systems work yeah. on a basic level and also how concrete is cured. So <laughs> there's due to dangerous and unpredictable currents. They can't send divers down to plug the hole. 
they could get lost into oblivion and just still be floating under the merchandise mart of Chicago to this day. Wow. So eventually what they do is they, and I am not a s- structural engineer. I'm <laughs> trying to explain this as best I can. Again, more in depth explanations are going to be in the show notes. Okay. But they drill what are called called caissons or tubes. Okay. Yes. And they send caged divers down these tubes or the shaft. Then they distribute sandbags. Okay. This is making a little more, this approach is making a little more sense now. It's, yeah, it's less out of emergency and more out of like, we've thought through the the structural engineering of how to do this. On the CBS2, they interview the divers and they can't really see what they're doing. They're feeling it out. They have to get tennis shots. They would have had to have done that anyways. Two birds, one stone kind of situation here. The, the, The flood was on a Monday. Okay. Following Sunday. They fill the caissons with quick drying concrete. Okay. And then the city seals off the tunnels with two-inch thick waterproof steel doors. So think submarine. Okay, yes. The day after the flood. So we're going back in time now to Tuesday. Okay, this is the 14th now? Yes. Or the 13th, okay. The 14th, because I gave you, I decided to approach it by dealing with the flood. Okay. And then the rest of the stuff. Okay. Mayor Daly holds a press conference announcing that he demanded and accepted the resignation of Transportation Commissioner John LaPlante. Okay. He reveals that the city knew about the leak. And in fact... After the project was completed in 1991, a city engineer was sent to inspect the work at all five bridges that had had pilings replaced. And the city engineer approved the work based on visiting one bridge. Okay. But there's more than one bridge throughout Chicago. Did you? Yes. Okay. He had five that he had to go check. Okay. But he just checked the one. Right. Okay. Okay. When asked why he skipped the other four, he said that there was nowhere to park. Okay. I just, I was waiting for the answer. I was waiting. I just, I was waiting. Did not disappoint. I am not disappointed in any way, shape, or form at that explanation. There was a, a radio news person who was like, sometimes it's hard to find parking in downtown Chicago. I just, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So let, let's just trace this back. We've got lack of a parking spot. We've got someone didn't want to bother with the one hour photo and then a matter of $10,000. And and now we've got a Jerry Bruckheimer movie on our hands. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Now we're getting somewhere. And lest you think firing or the resignation of LaPlante was sacrificial, he told the Sun-Times, quote, I didn't get the feeling we had an immediate emergency. If I'd known how serious it was, 
I would have gone on and done it and taken care of the billing later. So he would have found a way to find a parking spot. I don't think he's the guy who actually, he oh, might have paid, okay. he approved the parking okay. garage for Got the guy. It. I'm left with Chicago's fiscal responsibility. <laughs> we don't pay for parking spots. We don't pay for one hour photo. You don't pay for like waterproof bins for uh, city public records. There's right. just, it's all there. It's all there. When people want to talk about those wasteful blue cities, but seven other city workers were fired too. Okay. But kudos to Daly for coming out and being transparent about it. I George Bush the first okay. will declares the state of emergency for okay. Chicago. So FEMA comes in. I didn't hear anything about FEMA. It was really a project between the flood stuff. Okay. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Okay. And the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. Okay. Because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District are the people, and we'll discuss later, who work with floods in the city of Chicago. Okay. The, Got it. Uh, might be a little late to mention this. The Chicago River is a federal waterway. Oh, is that because, like, rail and shipping? Because it flows all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico when we're interested. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it goes into Lake Michigan, which is, Mm -hmm. it doesn't go into Lake Michigan anymore, but that's a different story when I talk about the reversal of the Chicago River. It costs $2 billion in damages. Okay. Which is over. $4 $4 billion by today's standards. Mm-hmm. And that's not even getting into what the economic impact of the yeah. trading markets and mm-hmm. Marshall Fields. Are, they did have mannequins in their windows with mops for a while. Because all told, it took about six weeks to repair everything. They repaired wow. the whole, but to get everything back, this is just in damages. Sometime during the week, the the initial week, the mm-hmm. conversation pivots from ineptitude to infrastructure. Okay. Which is a valid conversation to mm-hmm. have, but this isn't a problem of crumbling roadways. No. This is a problem of not getting a one-hour photo developed. Yes, this is a problem of not finding a parking spot. This yes. Is, you know, just... When our local CBS did that special, hour-long special, they did an entire segment of things falling apart around the city. Oh, okay. So they're literally just piling on. Which also, not invalid. The no. city needed some work. There was a point in time where scaffolding was just part of the architecture of the city. Okay, yeah. Yeah. There was a point in time when the L train, which is the elevated train, could yes. only go 10 miles an hour around the loop, fear of breaking something. So it's not <laughs> invalid. But okay. it's also, again, not an infrastructure issue. No. In fact, this is an infrastructure repair Going wrong. Yeah, yes. 
we did the right thing in the wrong way. <laughs> right. They were repairing something and then they just didn't check. Yeah. Yeah. As I mentioned, it took six weeks to repair. And then we have seven years of lawsuits. Only and seven? Only seven. Okay. But here's where it gets fun. And this is why I chose someone familiar with the far right weirdos. Okay. <laughs> At the heart of this argument is maritime law. Oh, God. Oh, no. No, no. I have a work meeting in 30 minutes. I can't. No, maritime law. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, no. We'll, we'll get there. Listeners who don't know, maritime law is a phrase that gets invoked by sovereign citizens and far-right weirdos a lot. But I think they have as much knowledge on the subject as Marjorie Taylor Greene has on the Constitution or the Bible. According to justia.com, maritime law or admiralty law regulates shipping, navigation, commerce, towage, recreational boating, and piracy by private entities on domestic and international waters. It covers both natural and man-made navigable waters, such as rivers and canals. It also covers persons and contracts related to maritime activities, such as seamen, shipping insurance contracts, and maritime liens. Now, for fun, I'm going to include in the show notes sovereign citizens showing up to court. And the very first one cites maritime law. Where it, if it does, if it has like a rope on the flag, or it doesn't have a rope, or it's something like that, isn't that like part of their argument? Like that that if they're in a courtroom and it like the flag isn't a certain way, then there. Yes, that is one of okay. the things, but it actually has nothing to do with maritime law, which is why I read oh. what maritime law is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's why I read what it was because <laughs> okay. it actually it's. Maritime it applies to actual things. And it's right okay. up there with the idea that international waters don't have any laws. Okay, yeah. They do, because if you just had people being lawless in the international waters, it's called drug trafficking. Yes. But I did put in a guy who claimed, as a show note, I went down a uh, weird rabbit hole of sovereign citizens going to court, which amused me. So oh, I'll man. put those in the show notes. The city thought the Great Lakes Dock and Dredging Company should pay, that they were liable. The Great Lakes Dock and Dredging Company asserted that their liability was limited because of maritime law. The case, which is Jerome B. Grubert versus Great Lakes Dodge Dock and Dredge, made it all the way to SCOTUS. No. Yes. Okay. 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 All right. I'm holding on to my butts here. Let's hear it. From the Sun-Times article I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Great Lakes Dredge and Dock, a venerable Chicago company that helped prepare the land for the 1893 Columbian Exposition, sued the city, saying it had reported its repositioning of the pilings 
and received spoken approval. That still doesn't fly for some. They didn't do their homework. They didn't look at the drawings, says Goldberg, son of famed Chicago architect Bertrand Goldberg. Okay. The Sun-Times goes on to say that the company tried to push the lawsuits it faced into admiralty court, an arcane jurisdiction where its liability would be limited to the cost of the barge and the tug that maneuvered it. The case went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Lawrence E. Rosenthal, a deputy corporation counsel for the city of Chicago, argued that the Great Lakes dredge and dock was asking the justices to, quote, bring admiralty law to the basement of Marshall Fields. Okay. The Sun-Times goes on to say, seven justices felt that's exactly where it belonged and the company ended up escaping liability. Okay, I'm not surprised. I, I'm. So who are the two dissenters? They weren't in, let me continue. Okay. There, there wasn't a dissent, which I couldn't get. It's okay. a hard case to follow. And okay. I didn't want to go too deep into the rabbit hole. But this okay. is from Cornell's law school website. The act would permit the Admiralty Court to decide whether Great Lakes had committed a tort and, if so, to limit its liability to the value of the barges and tug involved if the tort was committed without the privity or knowledge of the vessel's owners. In a 7-0 to zero decision, the court agreed. Souter wrote the opinion with Rehnquist, O'Connor, Kennedy, and Ginsburg joining in. Thomas wrote a concurrence because he's never passed up an opportunity to write no. a concurrence. No, he won't speak, but okay, yeah. he'll write a concurrence, okay. And in which Scalia joined the Thomas concurrence. Stevens oh. and Breyer recused themselves. The phrasing is, took no part in the decision of the case. Okay. I could have gone into a rabbit hole and tried to figure yeah. out that why, but I. I it, uh, yeah. Okay. Now, this is considered to be the gold standard of maritime cases. You just, you brought me in with the Blues Brothers and then you just, you literally sunk me with maritime law. <laughs> it gets a little better. Okay. Searching this, as I said, there wasn't a lot to find about this case, but the case was invoked in 2014 in your good state of Texas. Okay. Yep. The Texas two-step. To sue a boat company for liability for a tech company that chartered their boat and overserved someone, resulting in a drunk driving accident. Okay. Do you, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Uh, because apparently in Texas, so this is weird to me. In okay. Illinois, if you're overserved, the bartender is liable. Like you can yes. sue the okay. restaurant, yeah. but apparently you can't do that in Texas. No. And there are restaurants here, bars and other establishments that actually advertise like the city's strongest drink, the city's where the overpour, where the whatever. And it's the first time I heard that, I was like, that is just begging for a lawsuit but no doesn't have that's no nope. yeah 
because the, the accident involved some people and they tried yeah. to sue the tech company that had the party yeah. in Texas law. So then they tried to get around it with mar- maritime law because, mm-hmm. of course, in Texas, there'd be some weirdo that's like, oh, yeah, maritime law. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I will include this in the show notes. Okay. Ultimately, the city paid $50 million in damages. Okay. So I almost $100 million today. Yeah, I don't math, but that is exponentially more than ten or $75,000. Yeah, that, I'm thinking that's 500 times more than $10,000. And I'm going to include more because there were hundreds of lawsuits and there's also laws in Illinois that cities having liability and uh-huh. again for sense of clarity and brevity I didn't include everything I read about going to court cuz that would be boring yeah, and that would yeah long now if I could get the depositions oh <laughs> I'm going to go do a FOIA act and yeah like, <laughs> yeah the Chicago Sun-Times piece ends with this. Some Chicagoans commemorated the flood in verse. The tribute that Irving A. Benjamin typed out on April 20th, 1992, remains all too relevant today, ending for the infrastructure's rotting and nothing's been done. No money at hand or under the gun. Wow. Mike Royko did this thing. I didn't include it where he talked about how they managed to within less than a week fix this really big hole, but they can't fix little holes. And Mm -hmm. our city was planned by Daniel Burnham and Burnham's motto was make no small plans. And Royko ended it with plug no small holes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I, wow. That's so, wow. It's also important to notice that they were talking about the infrastructure again. I want to underscore that's not what remotely happened. They yeah. bungled replacing rotting infrastructure. Yeah. Wow. And they paid a lot of money to repair it as well as damages. Now, you asked about Daly's being reelected. Okay. Yes. He one is re-election, so the election would have been in 93. We do our elections in off years. Yes, because you just had an election? Yes. Okay. He won by 60% of the vote. That no. was his lowest percentage in the entire time he was in office. I'm okay. I, okay. Wow. <laughs> He was, when I lived here in the two early aughts, he was winning yes. by 70% of the vote. Whoa. Yeah. That, you just don't see people pull those numbers. Like on, on a national scale. I just, wow. Yeah. So, it was, yeah. It's a name recognition game. It's a name recognition game. The flood did happen, but it got... yeah. We were literally for years, just as long as our trash got picked up on time and we could walk the streets. We didn't have, you know, yeah, 
our trash is taken and things work. Yeah. We used to joke after Hurricane Katrina, we're like, if that was Chicago, Mayor Daly would have gotten gondolas out so we could get back to work. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the other thing that's important, and we've touched on this, and that this was a below ground flood. Okay. And it really flummoxed people and made it difficult for them to comprehend because they couldn't see it. And yes. In fact, I found an article. It was on the Wayback Machine. Okay. I don't know who wrote it. The title is Corps, that's the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Corps responds to strange flood. And yeah. it points out what began as a typical Monday quickly became anything but for many in Chicago. On that day, the Chicago River broke into underground tunnels flooding basements throughout the city's downtown area. Quote, I can still see the look on D.E.'s face, parentheses, then Lieutenant Colonel Randall Inouye, it's I-N-O-U-Y-E. Okay. When I told him the phones were ringing off the hook with media calls asking if the Corps had been called to assist with the flooding in the loop, said Carol Massar former public affairs office of the Chicago district. He looked incredulously at me, then out the window and said, flooding in the loop. Carol, it's not even raining out there. Um, because every time I've seen rain, I, I automatically think, oh no, no, we're going to have a... <laughs> but you also would think there should, you're going to have flooding. There yeah. should be some water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And wrapping up, so preparing for this, I had multitudes of memories from March of 2020. Okay. A problem you cannot see with no blueprint for fixing. The flood stud reminded me of the nation's enthrallment with then Governor Cuomo. That's right. Lest you forget, people called him the love gov. God, that didn't age. Oh, that's right. Wow. Luckily, the flood oh. stud didn't have the fall from grace. Good. The politics of diverting attention from bureaucrat bureaucratic bungling in the case of Chicago, no one to this day between the city and the Chicago dock and dredge, they're still blaming each other. Wow. A delaying of paying taxes. Of course. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but it also, thinking of the early eight, early to mid-80s with the AIDS crisis. Yeah, that that is a good parallel. Yeah. And knowing there's a problem, but not wanting to admit it and not knowing how to solve it. And Right. Yeah. And thinking that... It, if you just wait, yeah. it'll go away. Yeah. Yes. I do want to say that in the end, Chicago did what Chicago does, and they handled the problem quickly. Uh, yeah, you said it was six weeks. That oh, was, no, The oh. flood was repaired within six days. Oh, okay. Okay. Six weeks to get rid of all. Oh, got it. Okay. 
And Gary Chico, who was the former Daily Chief of Staff, told the Sun-Times, quote, I don't know if you're ever proud of disasters. It, it's really how you respond to these things. Mm -hmm. So the last thing I just want to bring in, because yeah. I'm always trying to bring in the current things, and this is more of a social thing. As I mentioned, yeah. over 4th of July weekend, we had, a, we got, I want to say in Chicago, we got eight inches of rain in wow. a very, the deep tunnel was filled and there okay. are tons of flooding mitigation strategies. I actually, because I work on a boat, okay. got the day off due to flooding because the boats couldn't fit under the bridges. Oh, Okay. And the very last resort is to open in Chicago. We have Chicago Harbor Lock. Okay. And you can't, first of all, you can't open it until the river is higher than the lake, which is not often. Okay. And also you're then putting the river into Lake Michigan, which is our drinking yes. water and supply. Then, yes. yes. And it, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nuclear option. They ended up having to do that on the third from four o'clock p.m. Okay. Until 9.30 p.m. Wow. And I know this because I work on a boat and I go okay. to the Chicago Harbor Lock pretty often. I asked the lead lock attendant how long it was open for. So no one asked me because I got my sources okay. from the Yeah. <laughs> now, why am I mentioning no at me? Because a few days later, everyone on Twitter was an expert on the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District the Chicago Harbor Lock, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah, I mean, YouTube University, it's right there. But, uh, there's very few things I know a lot about and can speak intelligently about. Yeah. How the Chicago Harbor Lock works, I know. Who opens yeah. the lock? It's the U.S. Army yeah. Corps. But, I mean, wow. the, the, they work in tandem with the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. And actually, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District issued a really snarky press release that brought me joy yeah. but there is also that speaking of twitter last night someone posted that chicago has an unearned arrogance no huh. we are unstoppable and unapologetically proud of our city blunders mm -hmm. and all we are the only city where you can be told to avoid non-essential travel due to a flood and the very next headline is NASCAR race in loop to resume in five minutes. It really happened. Wow. Um, it did. It did. We are the Gen X of big mm -hmm. cities. Yes. Yes. Well, I was imagining the conspiracy theories that people would bake oh, if man. the great Chicago flood happened now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. I'm only going surface level in my head and I'm already just spinning. Like, yeah, it's, it's quite a yarn. It's <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go there because no. I did for, I, I did for the Tylenol murders and um, yes. I'm not. Yeah. There's creativity that I just don't have. And I consider myself to be a pretty creative person or maybe I'm just grounded in reality. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts? So I was 13 when the flood happened. I think I vaguely remember hearing it on maybe the nightly news, maybe for a day or two. 
But for the most part, I had never heard of this. When you said that the topic was going to be the flood of Chicago, my first assumption was that we're looking at 1890 to about 1910. So the fact that one, this happened in the modern era, and two, that it wasn't because of crumbling infrastructure, and the fact that this all could have been prevented over someone just kind of digging in a little deeper and waiting for a parking spot, the city paying for one hour photo, and then ten to $75,000. I just, I'm full of emotion, but I genuinely love this story on a lot of levels and darn you for folding in maritime law with this. So bravo. Those are my <laughs> thoughts. When I got to maritime law, I'm like, yeah, here we go, baby. I've known the story for a while, but the maritime law part, there, I'm like, it's just, it's, it's the icing on the cake. It, it is. Or as, yeah. as uh, Robert Evans would say, num, num, num. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, tell people where they can find you. Yes. So Real Relationships is on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcasts, except for Stitcher, I think after August something of this year. We also have a Facebook page. We are on YouTube and we are on Instagram. Excellent. Listeners, I appreciate each and every one of you. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button quicker than a sovereign citizen can say maritime law. And be sure to share with your friends. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.